Now, for John's audience, they were assuming that he was talking only to them. They were probably thinking Christ was coming back in their lifetime. Uh, they were thinking that it was the Roman Empire and Caesar who were going to be judged, because they were the purveyors of evil. Uh, they never anticipated the world would last for another 2,000 years like it has. And so we know that there will be many more purveyors of evil who will be judged, and all the faithful of the ages will inherit the earth. And then next in his vision, John sees a, the new Jerusalem descending from heaven and God making his permanent abode with his people. Uh, so in a sense we said that heaven, heaven comes to earth and everything changes. So with that understanding, we pick up at chapter 21 in verse 9. And John is still writing about what he saw in his vision. And he says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, notice he says that this was the, one of the same angels that had one of the seven bowls of the last seven plagues. We saw this angel back in chapter 17. And in 17, this angel showed John a woman in his vision. A harlot. Now, the same angel in this extended vision shows John another woman and this woman is a bride. The first woman he showed was a harlot. The second woman he shows John is a bride. There's a difference between a harlot and a bride. At least there should be a difference between a harlot and a bride. Now, the harlot in chapter 17 represented the Babylonian Empire. Represented Babylon or Rome. That's a cryptic name for Rome. This woman represents the New Jerusalem. So you need to understand that there are two women in the book of Revelation. One, a harlot representing Rome. One, a bride, a pure bride who represents uh, the New Jerusalem. And you can actually do a chart by looking in chapter 17 and looking at all the characteristics of the, bra of the harlot. And you can just write down each one of those characteristics and you would have known what the Roman Empire was like. It was a horrible place for Christians. And then you could do the same thing and look at the characteristics of the bride. And you'd have these two charts comparing God's people with those who are not God's people. Then verse 10 says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. Now, this should remind us of another time when uh, someone is taken to a high mountain and shown something. And you'll remember back in... Uh, the Gospel of Luke and in the other Gospels Jesus is taken to a high mountain but he's taken to a high mountain by Satan and he's taken to a high mountain he's shown, shown all the kingdoms of this world that's what Satan does he shows him all the kingdoms of the world now John is taken to a high mountain and he's shown something what is he shown? he's shown the great city the holy Jerusalem so very interesting we see that there's a bride in verse 9. You see that? Called a bride. But in verse 10, 
she's called a city. The bride is a city. They're one and the same, just as Babylon and the harlot are the same. So the bride is a metaphor for the city. Now, she's not only a bride, but look into the end of verse 9, she's also a wife. You see that? A bride represents beauty. A bride represents uh, purity. Uh, a wife represents faithfulness. A wife represents intimacy. Uh, so this bride, which is also a wife, is actually pointing to a city. A city called the New Jerusalem. Now, whose, whose wife is she? In verse 9, the end of verse 9. It says she's the Lamb's wife. You see that? Referring to the crucified Jesus who was resurrected and at the time that John writes has ascended into heaven and sitting on the throne of God. So here's the crucified, resurrected Jesus and he has a wife and his wife are his people who have been faithful to the end and have died just like he died and have also been resurrected and because of their faithfulness they are identified as his bride. So this bride, this city, this wife, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, is comprised of people and they're God's people. Now, but it always points to a city. Now look how this city is described in verse 10. He showed me a city. What kind of a city? A great city. A great city. Rome was also called a great city. God's city. The city of man. Remember, Augustine wrote a book called The City of Man and the City of God. Some of you had to read that for college. Some of you were assigned it and didn't read it. But I'm sort of like in that latter class. City of man, which represents evil, was a great, it's called a great city. And now the New Jerusalem is called a great city. So it's a great city. Notice also what else it is. It's a godly city. Look at that. The holy Jerusalem. The holy Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And then he describes it this way. Descending out of heaven from God. And it's a glorious city. It comes down like uh, a, now this is all in the image. You have to realize this is all in a vision. He sees this city coming down from heaven. And it's a glorious city and it's radiating the glory of God. And it cannot be missed. It's reflecting God's glory. And then he gives an illustration. Here's what he says about this city. It says, It's a city descending out of heaven, having the glory of God. Her light, the radiance from this city. Remember the city? The shining city on a hill that Reagan used to talk about? He was really depicting the New Jerusalem. He said, but that's America. Well, he missed it by a little bit. America's not quite a shining city on a hill. But this is a shining city, and he says her light was like, that's a, that's a simile. What was this light of the city like? It was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, which uh, most commentators uh, identify as a, a blue-white diamond. It's like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, so what is it like? It's like a precious stone. Notice that in verse 11. Is there a difference between a precious stone and a semi-precious stone? Yeah, and a rock. Yeah, what's the difference? Well, they each have a different glory. 
I used to work for a jeweler when I was in college. And I made jewelry. Now, I could only make, like, college rings. And most of those college rings are made by machine. So I could work the machine. And this stone I have in here is a semi-precious stone. It's not worth very much. And it shines a little bit if you put that light right on top of it. But it has to have another light, you know, to make it look like it's shining. But there were jewelers who worked with precious stones. By the way, these stones were so precious, everyone was accounted for. You never walked out of that building without being checked. They didn't trust you. And you had gold dust on you because you were working with gold all the time. So we had to wash, you know, all the way up our arms and the gold dust that was on our bodies went down and we went through a, a thing that blew when we walked through the door and there were mats so that we would not even take gold dust out of this uh, jewelry manufacturer. And these certain stones were so precious. So I know a lot about diamonds. Not like somebody in New York who's a diamond expert. But I know how many carats, how many points make a carat, and what a good diamond is supposed to be. And this city is reflecting God's glory, and he describes it in the form of a simile as a very precious stone, in fact, a perfect blue-white diamond. And so the precious stone is the one that has many facets, reflects light, uh, much more than, let's say, a, a semi-precious stone. Now, since this city is composed of people, don't think of a city just like a geographical area. These are people. The New Jerusalem is composed of those who have been faithful to God and are in glorified bodies, and it's the people who are the jewels that are reflecting God's glory. And so that's what I think John wants us to, to get when we look at this. And then he begins to give us the specifics. Look at verse 12. He said, And she... That would be this city, the bride, the white, had a great and high wall. This city that God brings to earth, when heaven is on earth, is going to be a safe place. Uh, don't think of a city, that God's city one day is going to literally come down to earth with great big walls that are 40 feet high and 15 feet wide. And that would be considered a fortress, wouldn't it? Uh, we don't have cities like that. Is that how we protect our cities nowadays, with walls? How did they protect their cities in the old days? Walls. That's what John knows. So what he's saying is, this city is going to be a safe city. It's going to be a safe place to live. You never have to worry about your safety. And people who uh, are on, in the police department now, guess what, you're out of a job when the New Jerusalem comes down. They won't need policemen anymore. That's pretty nice. Won't need fires any. Won't need firemen anymore. Probably won't even need teachers anymore. We'll all have knowledge. I'll be out of a job. Guess what? I won't have to be teaching the Bible then. You want to know something? How what it really means is to have Jesus. He'll be there. I think he'll probably know better than I will. And as I remember, Street that day when he talked about the New Jerusalem, he really had it wrong, didn't he? <laughs> And you'll, you'll say yes, but we're glad you straightened this out and straightened him out. So, he's saying that this place, God's heaven on earth, when it happens, is going to be a safe place. Uh, Rome offered safety to the people. 
but it was always a safety that was wrought through violence. And then look what else it says there in verse 12. The city will have 12 gates. 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And so here he's just talking about entrances into the city. Who's going to get to come into the city? Old Testament saints. That's why the names of the 12 tribes are on there. There will be Jewish believers that will inherit the earth, as well as Gentile believers. He says, also says in verse 13, there will be three gates to the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. There will be entrances into the city. Now, uh, the old Jerusalem had entrances into their city. They had gates. They had the fish gate. That's a nice name for a gate, isn't it? Fish gate. They had a water gate. They had a dung gate. Uh, what was those gates? Well, if you went fishing, you brought your fish through a certain gate. For water, you had to go out and get your water and bring that through a certain gate. If you had to dispose of waste, you disposed of waste through a certain gate. You wouldn't take your waste out where you were bringing your water in, would you? You wouldn't want to contaminate anything. So they had certain gates. And that was just to survive, but here the gates are named not for dung and fish and water and whatever else. They're named for people. They're named for tribes. Judah. Benjamin. It's that these gates are for people to come in. And who's going to be in there? The Old Testament saints are going to be in there. And then look at verse 14. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So not only the Old Testament saints are going to be in there, but the New Testament believers will be in there as well. What is he saying when he says foundations? He's saying that basically it's going to be a, a, a permanent city. Foundations speak of stability. This is not a temporal spot. This is the, this is the end game right here. This is not a portable tent city. Israel lived in tents on the way to the promised land. Uh, this is a permanent city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. He's the one who lays those foundations. This is not going to be like an Occupy Wall Street type city, you know? Where they're living in tents and those kinds of things. This is a permanent City. It's protected. It's got walls. It's a safe city. It's a protected city. It's a permanent city. And then look what else. Verse 15. And he talked with me, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed. This is all in a vision. He sees this happening in a vision. 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its breadth, its height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of man. That is, of an angel. The angel measured the city, but he's giving you the measurements in human terms. Now, what's he saying here? Don't take this so literally, thinking that the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. Well, it's going to actually be 1,500 miles that way. It's going to be 1,500 miles that way. and High... It's going to be a square. You I mean it's not going to be 1,500 miles in one inch? 
What's he saying when he says that this, when he lays out the measurements? And the measurements are form a perfect cube. What's he saying about this city? He's saying this city is not only going to be a safe city, a secure city, protected city. This is not only going to be a stable city. It's not only going to be a permanent city. He's saying this is going to be a perfect city. He's describing a perfect cube. In his vision, he sees a perfect cube. That's what he literally sees. But what's going to happen when it happens? What's the reality going to be? What's the meaning behind this? It is that it's a perfect city. That's all you need to know. Don't try to get its measurements and say, well, the 1,500 miles from the East Coast, 1,500 miles, we'll go out past, you know, Chicago, and it'll be... That's ridiculous. That's nonsense type stuff. Don't... Just find the meaning behind the symbol and you'll have the reality. So, he's saying that it is a perfect city. That's what it points to. Now look at verse 18. The, the, the construction of its walls was jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear get, get, uh, glass. The foundations of the wall of the city, this is all in his vision, this is what he sees. It's like sometimes you've seen visions, you've had dreams of great big beautiful houses that don't need to exist. You know, when you wake up, that's not the way it really is. Okay. He is describing the vision. The foundations in verse 19 of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. Uh, the fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonis. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. And the tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. These are the building materials. What's he saying? What is he describing? Uh, the city's built out of what? What's he saying there? What are the building materials? Huh? They're built out of precious stones. They're built out of, out of gold and precious stones. Things that reflect light. Things that are shiny. Things that are reflecting the glory of God. Things that radiate. See, things that are shooting rays out. That God's presence is in the city. And you're seeing everything in the city. You can quote the building materials. Uh, manifesting the beauty and the glory of God. It's everywhere, and that's what he's trying to say. If I would add it, put it like this, I'd say the city, the description of the city is beyond belief. It's out of this world. That's what he's trying to say. See, so if you get down to the little nitty-gritty particulars, you get yourself into a real difficult situation. And you don't want to do that. So what you're trying to do is say, well, this is a vision. What does it mean? And what do the symbols mean? It means this is the most beautiful city that you have ever imagined in your life. It's that kind of a city, okay? beyond description. And then he says this, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. I love this. Each gate was one pearl. Now that would take a big oyster, wouldn't it? <laughs> one big pearl. Each gate. Now the, look, the walls are 40 feet high. Those gates are pretty big gates. That's a big pearl. What kind of oyster can produce that kind of a pearl? So, well, it must be a heavenly oyster. No, no. <laughs> Look, when you have visions, you have crazy things in visions, but they mean something. Okay. So, the gates were one pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold, like transparent glass. Okay. 
Now, how do I know that this isn't an oyster-produced pearl? Because there's no sea. <laughs> now, he's talking about no seas, and he's talking about pearl. That's sort of a contradiction in terms. So, but these are visions, and visions are symbolic, and you have to figure the meaning of these things. But anyway, each one of these gates uh, is made of the world's biggest pearl. Okay? In other words, it's out of this world. Streets of pure gold. Gold that is like transparent glass. Now, I've got gold here. It's not pure gold, but pure gold is 24 karat gold. See, I know that. That's pure gold. 24. You can't get any purer than 24 karat. Does it look like transparent glass to you? But in his vision, it does. All he's saying is even the streets, the stuff that you walk on, what we consider dirty, but these are not dirty streets. These, even the streets reflect God's glory. Can you imagine that? Even the streets? Now, Disney World has nice streets. They're clean streets, but they don't reflect, they're not streets of gold, are they? They don't reflect God's glory. So, he's saying even the streets reflect God's glory. <clears throat> so look at verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. Why not? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You won't have to go to church. You don't have to go to a temple to worship God because God is everywhere. You'll have direct access to God. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? She said, look at me, I have a question. He said, I got you. Let me ask you a question. He said, our fathers worship in the temple over on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And you Jews, you worship over on that mountain. You worship uh, where the temple is in Jerusalem in that mountain. Which is the one that we should worship in? Which temple? And Jesus said, Temple Shmeple. Remember when he said that? That's what the Greek says. Temple Shmeple. He says, The day is coming. And now is when men shall worship God in spirit and in truth. It's not temples. So God's going to be everywhere. And this is his plan. This is his end time goal. Uh, now we worship Him by faith, and we worship Him face to face. And then look what He says in verse 23. He said, The city had no need of a sun, no need of the moon to shine in it. Why not? Look what He says. Because the glory, because the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is in it, the entire city is designed to transmit the glory of God. And Christ ultimately transmitting the glory of God. You don't need the sun and the moon. God is the source of the light. That's what he's saying here. Now remember, this is on earth. This is on earth. Because in this vision, this is what he sees the future of earth to look like. So, if I were just summarizing, I'd say, it's going to be different than it is today. Because, you know what? Last night I said, as I was studying, I said to Lynn, she was up, I said, would you turn the light on? I can't see. I need to look and see what this says here. And I needed that kind of a light to see. I won't need that kind of a light when heaven comes down to earth in the ultimate kingdom of God. And then he says this in verse 24, in the nations of those who are, who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Now, 
uh, John's people would understand what this meant because in ancient days, kings would bring their wealth and they would lay it at the feet of the ultimate king. So we have historical records where Nero, for example, when he was emperor of Rome, would have kings, his client kings, all over the empire because he conquered that nation and that nation and that nation. And each one of those nations had their own little kings. But Caesar was the emperor of the entire world and they would come to Rome and they would bring their wealth and they would lay it at the feet of Caesar in honor of him and in acknowledgement that they owed him their allegiance, even everything they owned. And so what we have here is John putting a picture of Jesus being the ultimate king and everyone owing him their allegiance. And then it says this in verse 25, Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. Its gates shall not be shut by day, and there shall be no night there. In John's day, gates were shut. He wanted to keep the wrong people out. Well, there's not going to be any wrong people to keep out. And guess what? There's not going to be any night there. What's he saying when he says there's not going to be any night? Saying that uh, you, don't, you don't have to be afraid at night. Night is when you're afraid, isn't it? You want to know when most rapes and murders and things, people break into houses and steal when that happens? Usually at night. You have to worry about that. This is why this is a safe place. Men like darkness, Jesus said, because their deeds are what? You can do evil things. You don't do it out in the open usually. There are brazen people who occasionally do, but usually they do it under the gaze of darkness. They do it in secret. And so, there's not going to be any night here. No need for it. Now, if there's no night, we might say, does that mean we'll never sleep? See, now those are the kinds of questions that are not even relevant to the passage. But I brought it up anyway. And the answer is, any, I'll give you an answer. You won't need to sleep. You'll be in a resurrected body. It doesn't need sleep. It doesn't need anything to exist. So that's nice. Some of you don't sleep now. Yeah. sleep three or four hours a night but then you don't have to sleep and you feel great so anyway it goes on to say but there shall be verse 27 and there shall be no means by me there shall be by no means enter in anything that defiles that's great or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life now, we discovered two weeks ago, those who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, where are they? Well, they're cast in the lake of fire. So, no, the only people that exist are going to be the people who have given their allegiance to Jesus. Now, that's going to be a great society. We talk about a great society. This is the great society. So, we have this picture that John gives. And then he goes on to say, and he showed me, just continues to describe this, the city here. He says, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, no pollutants, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So here we have water that's called water of life. It's the source of life. Uh, this is the source of life because it comes from God who is the source of life. 
And so this water represents life. Uh, remember the woman at the well again where Jesus said, well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. And I would give you water that leads to life, like a spring that just, a fountain that just comes up and produces life within you. She said, man, give me that. I don't want to have to come here every day and get water. She didn't even know what he was talking about. But this is the description of life, water of life. It represents eternal life, where you're not going to die. And in the middle of the street, verse 2, it says this. On either side of the river was the tree of life. So you have water of life, you have tree of life, which bore twelve fruits. Each fruit, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Now this is a very interesting thing because what he's describing here is health. Not only is there life, eternal life, you're never going to get sick. You're always going to be healthy. The word there where it says in the verse 2 for the healing of the nations is therapeian, which from which we get our word therapy. And so these, this water and these trees are going to be therapeutic. Just like if you go to Hot Springs or you go to Eureka Springs and you have these therapeutic waters that are supposed to give you health. And people make millions of dollars off of this. Uh, this is the real Hot Springs. And it works where health is produced. Now I believe, and I can't prove this, that probably, well I know this much, that in the Garden of Eden there was a tree of life, wasn't there? And from that tree Adam and Eve ate and they remained healthy and they remained alive. When did they die? When they were put out of the garden and they were separated from that tree of life. And God puts a big angel there, it says, in Genesis chapter 3, in the 3, lest they get back into the garden and eat of the tree of life. He holds them back from eating from that tree of life once they sin. But here we see we have the tree of life and we have access to this tree. And therefore... We have health. He's just describing a place where there's no sickness and there's no death. All there is is life. And look what he says in verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. Notice, no more curse. The curse is reversed. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. So the curse that was brought upon all of creation because of sin is removed. And that world, the world and all that is in it, John says in his epistles, passes away. And God gives us a new heaven and a new earth. One where there's no curse. There's no cursed ground. There's no toil. There's no thorns. There's no thistles. There's no weeds. My wife will like that. He's describing a perfect environment where work is going to be pleasant. Can you imagine that? Where when you work and you get the end of the day and you come home you don't feel exhausted and you don't say oh I just need to sit down I don't think I can fix any food I don't think I can do any of this you're not exhausted you're not tired you don't come home with a stress headache life is different that's what he's describing this is the world that God has in store for us heaven on earth and then look what it says in verse 4 and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their forehead. Simply means we belong to him. We're his. And he's ours. And there shall be no night there. And there'll be no need for a lamp, nor light of the sun. 
For the Lord God gives them light. And they, and this is what we this is what we have in store for us, and they shall reign forever and forever. We're not only children of God, we're not only co-heirs with Jesus of this New Jerusalem, but we will be co-rulers. So, what John's trying to describe here, I believe, is the perfect place. So I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine a city, an existence, with open spaces. Not crowded, not congested, with green spaces, beautiful parks, lush, lush foliage. Everything is green, everything is alive. The brightest green colors that you can even imagine. With happy people, uh, carefree people, where everything is fresh. Everything's new. Nothing's old. Uh, even, even, and nothing grows old. Even your parents who have died years before, when you look at them, they're going to look like they did at the peak of their health. Can you imagine a world like that? That's what he's describing here. Fresh water fountains, music in the air, people singing, people dancing. No more sickness, no more hospitals, no fears, no worries, no cemeteries. Heaven on earth. That's what we're promised. This is John's message to the seven churches. Think what they're about to face. These seven churches are about to face persecution. The temptation is to compromise and live. Hold on to those 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years as tight as they can so they're willing to compromise and bow to Caesar. And Jesus says, don't be faithful to me. Be faithful to me. And I will guarantee you that one day evil will be judged and you'll be vindicated. Remain faithful no matter what the cost. Is it worth it all? He says, John, look, before, we, before I finish the letter, let me give you a description of what these people can expect. And at the end, you'll see that it will be worth it all. Heaven on earth, the new Jerusalem. We'll pick up at verse 6 next week. Lord, we, we, we long for this city. We're like Abraham who longed for a city whose builder and maker is God. Uh, we have no city like this today. We have no existence like this today. Even when we go to the plushest hotels, whether it's the Ritz, we see things that are not right. When we go to uh, the most lush islands of the world, we see things that are still decaying and old and things that are not right. And yet, Lord, you tell us that you have a place for us where there's no fear, there's no sickness, no cemeteries, no death. Everything's perfect. Where the weight of the world will be lifted off of our shoulders because it was placed on the shoulders of Christ and he's freed us. And those that are in Christ are free indeed. Oh, Lord, help us to realize that to be faithful will one day be rewarded. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.